This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who want Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me once again to break down the play-in slash round-robin week of NHL action and preview the first round of the playoffs, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thank you once again for joining us back for our second week of RTP Return to Podcast. We are so happy to be here and so happy that you've joined us. And we've got like a an action pack, like we always do, right? You can count on us to pull content, to pull interesting facts and factoids from whatever action is happening. And I mean, that's not to say there wasn't a lot of action. It was wild. So many games every night with uh, the last one about to happen after the the moment we record this. Elon, Toronto and Columbus just saying their pregame prayers or whatever it is they do to get ready uh, for that final tilt. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's why we decided to start a little early with our recording for people wanting to know behind the scenes so we can watch this exciting game. Yeah, so as you're listening, we don't know that result, but we know all the other results. We know all of the round two playoff matchups, except for we know Tampa's going to play one of Toronto or Columbus, both, which would be super exciting games or series, right? Like Toronto versus Tampa Bay, two super high scoring, exciting teams. That would be a blast. And then Tampa versus Columbus, a rematch of one of the biggest upsets of all time. What would you rather see, Brian? Don't bring in your, like, uh, I hate Toronto, so I want them to lose. Like, what do you think would be a more fun series for you to watch? Uh, I think it would be more fun to see Tampa play Toronto. I feel like they have two of the best offenses in the league, and I'd like to see them go toe-to-toe rather than the best offense in the league versus one of the most claustrophobic defenses in the league, which is like, you know, the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. That's always a great storyline, but it's not one I I really care to see. Of course, I'd love to see Tampa work like the storyline of Tampa wanting revenge for last year would be fascinating to me. But in terms of just seeing the most fun and exciting hockey, no offense to Columbus, I'd like to see Toronto move forward. But Elon, you said, don't just say you want the Leafs to lose because you hate them. Actually, if I didn't like the Leafs, I would say I want them to win and then lose to Tampa so that they don't get this 12.5% shot at winning the lottery and getting Lafreniere. So, uh, of course, this will all be over by the time you're listening to this. So uh, it's all moot. But now you know how we felt. 
how we felt in the moment. Where were you at 7.25 p.m. <laughs> on Sunday night? Okay, so we've got, like Brian said, self-congratulating before we even started. We've got a great show for you planned today. We're going to talk about what we thought about the first round. We're going to go through some injuries. We're going to go through some of the players that did really well or maybe not so well in that first round. Then we'll preview what's coming up before we get to all of that. Let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, your number one source for fantasy hockey articles and tools and basically everything you need to stay competitive and to stay abreast of everything going on in the NHL. And often with a fantasy lens, you've got your hockey rambles all the time, articles after every game, you know, top six rising forwards, like just like random articles coming out every day, keeping you, like I said, up to date with everything going on in fantasy. So you're going to be prepared for any drafts you do, whether it be a playoff pool or you're already starting to prep for next year's drafts which I'll admit I am in my head as I watch every single one of these playoff games. I'm like, oh, ooh, Bjorkstrand all of a sudden off top power play. Uh, he's getting bumped down my draft list. But uh, we'll actually get into that a little bit later in the show. But OK, uh, yeah, that's DauberHockey.com. It's great. And Frozen Tools. But so, Brian, with that, before we get into talking about some players, we had a fun debate in our little group chat with Ben and Lewis, the short shifts guys. And the four of us were just talking about, I think it was mainly you and Ben griping about how much you disliked the uh, play in round and thought how it was so unfair it was after that day where both pittsburgh and edmonton lost and everyone's like what crosby mcdavid the most exciting players in the whole league and they're out so fast well the nhl must be so mad so anyways i, I was i was curious to get have this debate obviously i'm like taking the first chance to like knock down <laughs> arguments before you even say it but i'm sure you're gonna have smart things i'll say i liked it i thought it was fun but tell me why uh i'm thinking people are curious like what did you think about this format because i kind of was starting to think like this would be fun if they did this every year but i feel like you and uh, ben were not in agreement no but that's the thing if they did this every year it would be more reasonable and easier to swallow like i'm the farthest thing from a purist and to be honest there's so much that could be improved about the NHL, but I don't even really care to begin with the playoffs. Like, I, I don't care that much, but I will make the argument that you have, like, I, I felt the most betrayed when I saw teams like Arizona and Montreal moving past Nashville and, and, and Pittsburgh. Nashville and Pittsburgh were like, locks for the playoffs Arizona Montreal were not going to make it in so you just have these non-playoff teams ousting these teams that played a 70 game season and earned a playoff spot and now it's like oh sorry you're not in the playoffs so it's just like what was the point of playing those 70 games because anything can happen in a best of seven series in the NHL playoffs let alone a best of five series any team in the NHL I am confident even the Senators even the Red Wings could beat any team in the NHL in a best of five series so taking uh, all these teams that we're not going to qualify for the playoffs. And you'll notice I haven't mentioned Chicago just because I, they weren't likely to get in, but they had these stretches where they looked like a lock and they were, they, they just couldn't keep it up for long enough. Uh, but I really do believe that they were a playoff quality team. Montreal, Arizona, not so much. Florida as well, I'll throw in there. So uh, it's just frustrating to see. Uh, for me, or it was frustrating to see these legit teams who should have had a chance to play for the cup, who earned that right to compete. Finally, uh, you know, when we get to play again, it's like, oh, sorry, uh, actually, you don't. Uh, you no longer, you've lost your right to compete because you couldn't win three out of five games against a team that was literally in the bottom third of the league. Okay, but I, I mean, yeah, I get everything you're saying. Uh, I guess the counterpoint would be like, why even have a playoffs at all then, right? Like you could yeah. say that, like just say that about like, oh, 
only the top, like, you know, teams that made it to the next round be like, oh, so last year, Tampa Bay lost their right to compete after losing four random games to, <laughs> games to Columbus? If I like, was you a know- total, total, like, guy who loved being boring and just, like, wanted only fairness and strictly fairness... I would say, like, just award the Stanley Cup to the best regular season team. We've got yeah. an 80-game sample. The team that did the best there is the best team in the league. But, of course, Yawn. the Stanley Cup Finals is fun. Like, that, that's what we want out of the playoffs in sports. We don't just want to watch 70 games or 80 games and then award a team and say, oh, yeah, you guys are the best. Congrats. You want to give everybody that chance to fight, and you want to limit who gets that chance to fight. Uh, but the NHL threw the doors open to 24 out of 31 teams. And, as, and a byproduct of this that I find unfortunate, uh, I mean, I'd, I honestly, I don't know if it would have changed depending on whether the lottery was held before or after or whatever. But it just doesn't feel right to have teams like Pittsburgh and Edmonton and Nashville suddenly having this 12.5% shot <laughs> at Lafreniere and, and throw Toronto or Columbus in, although Toronto, I guess, would be more like it. But more in line with those other teams i'm unhappy about having a shot um i'd actually be happy if he landed in columbus so that's another reason i'm cheering for toronto tonight (laughs) okay so yeah i again like i there's so many things you said there first of all i would say that i don't think you're being too fair to arizona because you're like the the way you're talking about how like nashville was like such like a better team than arizona like i know the final season standings after 70 games but the whole thing you said about quality like arizona was one of the top teams when they traded for taylor hall don't forget they were like at the top of the Standing's doing great. Then Darcy Camper got injured. They had some bad luck. So yeah, they ended up falling out of the playoff race and now they got lucky to get in and now they're fully healthy. And now we're seeing that this is actually a high quality team. And I I don't know. I mean, now they have a really tough matchup against Colorado. So we'll see how far they can go. But I, it's not as if Nashville was like this like amazing team. All year on the podcast, we were like, what's going on with Nashville? Like, why can't they score any goals? So yeah. anyway, that's yeah. that's that. That's a separate thing. As far as the draft pick, which is like, a, I feel like a whole other discussion, which yeah. maybe is even worth digging into too much. But I heard a really good podcast by Steve Laidlaw, who's uh, been on our podcast before, and he interviewed someone, and I forget who that was. I apologize, but definitely check out the Steve Laidlaw podcast. And they were talking about how they don't think the draft format in general is that fair, and why should a guy like Lafreniere have to go to like the worst team in the league? Like his reward for being so awesome is that he gets to go to a crappy team and have a bad experience. So maybe it'll be kind of nice if he gets to go to a good team and like it's a deep draft Detroit's gonna get someone good you know like uh whoever Ottawa's gonna get two good players so you know they're not screwed because they don't get Lafreniere but why can't he go to a good team it might be fun but anyway all of this is about like fairness versus fun and in the end I really enjoyed the play-in rounds and I feel like you know these teams like Pittsburgh and Edmonton and whoever that like lost like they could have won like Pittsburgh got a reward by having such a good regular season by getting to play against the bottom seeded team it's not it's like just happened to me that Carey Price was amazing and Montreal really did well and that's how the playoffs go I guess Oh, and one more thing, one more thing, really quickly. Also, don't forget that the top four teams did have a bye, so it's not as if the regular season meant nothing, right? Like, if Pittsburgh would have won a couple more games during the season, they wouldn't even be in this situation, yeah. right? So obviously, but then you could say that, uh, you know, they didn't know that it was going to be top four teams, but no one did because there was a global pandemic. But anyways, just to say, it's not as if the whole regular season was nothing. Like, uh, there were teams that did well and got rewarded for it. For sure. All very valid points. And I, I think the bottom line is like you want that mix, which is what we do for the cupful, right? We want that mix of, of fun and fair. And I, I think this leans a little more towards fun than fair, like where I want to be on that scale. It's probably a little more to the side of fun. But at the end of the day, I agree. We saw a, a tweet from Sarah Siv, which was like, you know, like, and you mentioned this, Crosby and McDavid could have just like led their teams to victory. And then they'd be in the next round. Like, we wouldn't be having this discussion. So yeah, they had their opportunity. 
They blew it. Should they have had the opportunity to blow it? I still don't know, but I agree with you. And and then just to wind up, uh, I am very into what you said about the draft. I am on team abolish the draft. Let everybody, let, let teams just sign players out of junior. And that means that you have to have a quality team uh, that attracts players. Like you can't, you know, no player just ends up in a garbage situation we always treat the best junior player as someone to go and save a franchise. Well, what if they don't want to save a franchise? They shouldn't have to carry that burden if they don't want to. Uh, I would have a lot of fun. I think it would be a lot of fun to play with this idea where the draft just doesn't exist and teams just have to find ways to encourage and uh, like and scout and and get the right guys or get as many of the their top prospects as they can onto their roster. Yeah, and of course, like, there's a lot of nuance there. And, like, they actually talked on that Steve Laidlaw podcast of different ways they could sort of, you know, massage that, not maybe a complete free-for-all, because then maybe, like, Ottawa would never get a good player ever, you know, or any team that sort of has a bad reputation. Well, that's on Ottawa. Then, then fix your reputation. Like, the, everybody would win. Everyone would win. Sure, but there also could be some middle ground. Like, you could have, like, not necessarily completely free forum, free for all, but, like, you know, maybe they were suggesting what if, like, the lower ranking teams got a higher budget? So, like, players could then have the choice of either getting a bit more money on a worse team or, like, you know, things like, anyways, there's probably lots of ideas that people, people could throw out there, but you, I do agree with you that maybe the system we have now doesn't serve everyone's best interest. Although, I guess if your best interest is just to have the league be as competitive as possible, then anyway, yeah, that seems fair. But let's get into the playoffs. Or actually, Brian, I believe we have one more piece of business to get to before we talk about some actual players. We started running, I think, one of the most unique, interesting playoff pools. It's the best ever. We'll see how it goes from here, because here's where it gets tough. Basically, we did a draft for this first round. We had 12 divisions, and each division had eight teams, and the top six of each division are going to move on to the next round, and we're going to redraft. Like, as soon as this Leafs game is over, we're going to scramble to send out these invites and do a slow draft and hopefully get these drafts done before games start on Tuesday. And so, Brian, I believe you wanted to give a quick update on how the first round went and give some kudos to the people who did well. Yeah, so let's just shout out a couple of the most notable teams from our, our, the first round of our Keeping Carlson playoff pool, which is like instructive, right? How did these teams do? Who did they have? Uh, how do you put together a great playoff pool team, which so often just looks like luck? Well, Rico's Roughnecks definitely figured out how they drafted third overall in Division 10, and they led the our entire, like, our entire 96-team pool in points with 45 points in the first round. They're the only team to be above one point per game through the first round. So congrats to Rico's Roughnecks, who somehow knew uh, Panarin Ajo, Quinn Hughes, Jonathan Taves, Goudreau, Hall, Horvat, Eric Stahl, Yandel, and Debrinkit would be uh, incredible. Three of the top six playoff scorers were on Rico's roster, uh, Aho, Jonathan Taves, and Quinn Hughes. Six players on his roster were in the top 20 in league scoring. So a fantastic showing from the first round from Rico's Roughnecks. And Rico's Roughnecks were followed by Elon's team in Division Woo! 3 and Matt's <laughs> team in Division 2 to round out the Boom. top three. Do you want to do <laughs> – why? What do you have against Matt's team in another hey, division? It's my competition. I might be playing Matt in the next round. By the way, Rico's Roughnecks was uh, owned by Nate. So good job, Nate. All right. So good job. And obviously, this is a weird playoff pool because we weren't drafting like normal pools where you're thinking about the players who are going to last all the way. You just had to focus on the first round. So someone who got 
uh, I don't know who's a player. Who go, oh, McDavid, right? So like, I got a crapload of points from McDavid, and now I could, you know, wish him adieu, thank him for his service, and then I'll just move on and draft uh, ten more players for next round. So it'll be a lot of fun. You mentioned you might be playing Matt next round. One person you won't be playing is our ninety sixth ranked team out of ninety six teams, Paradiso Percoloso, and I'm like, okay, they probably had Sh- like they probably had all these guys who got injured. They drafted Shifley and Liney, but actually. They shared some things very much in common with the top team in the Cupful in that they drafted fourth overall compared to third overall. Uh, they were in Division 11, uh, and they also drafted Panarin first, just like Rico's Roughnecks, but it all went downhill from there. They collected just 16 points over the first round, and for context, the average and median was 28 points. All right, so who are some of the players that you see that like you're surprised they got such few points? Who let, who let him down? Yeah, so four players with zero points on Let's Paradiso Perc- Colosso's team. Uh, they included Buchnevich, Yamamoto, Latang, and Justin Williams. Elon, would any of those names stand as is like the biggest surprise to you to come up with nothing in the, uh, the the minimum three games that they got to play? Yeah, like for sure Latang, right? Like that was crazy because he was playing big minutes. Like we were worried. I think we saw some line combinations of Schultz bumping in front of the top power play. But for the most part, Latang was getting the top minutes. He was taking shots. I guess just nothing went in. I think you got to blame that on Carey Price. Just totally stoned Latang at every opportunity. But yeah, I uh, had Latang on my team too, my only zero point player. And that was a big bummer. I was lucky that I had some other people to help me out. I guess Yamamoto also yeah. was someone that people were super into did going into notice, the playoffs. Did you notice what Edmonton did with their line? No, please share. Yeah, so Yamamoto had no points, obviously, in four games. He averaged 16 minutes a night, uh, just four shots over those four games. Not a huge shooter, but, like, maybe he could have gotten more than one a game. Um, And so I'm like, okay, what went wrong for Yamamoto? Dreisaitl had three points at five on five, which isn't awful. um, But the point opportunities weren't necessarily bountiful for Yamamoto playing with Dreisaitl. But... What happened, the answer to the question I asked you a minute ago, the the Oilers moved Ryan Nugent Hopkins up to ride shotgun with Connor McDavid, which, why? Like, I I haven't really seen a great explanation for why they did it. Like, McDavid could have grabbed the nine points he did with you and I as his wingers. And uh, it sure looks like it hurt Edmonton to mess with that Drysaddle Nugent Hopkins Yamamoto line. Uh, instead of Nugent Hopkins on the Drysaddle line, they tried Athanasiu and Tyler Ennis, who we would have expected to be the second winger on McDavid's line. So I'm wondering if McDavid had a word in this. If he was, oh come on! <laughs> it seems like there's a big narrative about you know McDavid being a little disgruntled and never being given anyone good to play with, or or that he finds fits his style. But come on, like I'm sure he. Wanted Oilers to win. Won. Well, so me, I, I don't. So, yeah. So, I mean, look, the Oilers blew it either way. If they were doing it to placate him, they shouldn't have. Uh, I also agree with you, though. Like, if he saw it wasn't working, I wouldn't imagine he, w- he would do that. Uh, it, uh, come terrible. on. No, this is like, I don't know, Brian. This is like a conspiracy theory. Like, the Oilers just had their best season in forever. I don't think McDavid's going to go, like, to the coach. It's like, you know, an actor in a movie where, like, this, you know, this the. This isn't the, a new th- <laughs> Yeah, it's like, like I have some notes. I have some notes. Uh, like after this great season, and we have this first chance ever at, that I have, at, like going far in the playoffs. But I'd like you to change all the plans to make me happy. I don't think he did that. Well, I, so, I don't think you should say that he did that. Well, we know Crosby doesn't like playing with Hornquist, right? And and he's gotten his wish. I don't know. I I feel like there's this 
lingering threat that McDavid is just not happy in Edmonton because they do give him nothing to work with. And so they maybe, maybe didn't ask, but maybe they were like, here, have Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And they're like, oops, we forgot to make the second line still great, which apparently uh, like was still decent, but not as great as it had been. So great for Nugent Hopkins, who collected eight points in his short playoff life this year. But yeah, Yamamoto, what a huge letdown along with uh, Latang and, well, Justin Williams sort of expected, and Buchnevich not, like, too bad, right? It sucks. This is a playoff pool. I'm sure Buchnevich was, like, the last round pick anyways. By the yeah. way, uh, Brian, what's your Twitter handle again, like your personal one? I don't use it. Oh, okay. I want to tell people where to send their hate because I don't want to have to see send it on it the to at Keeping Carlson. Carlson. No, oh, now I got, <laughs> why are you guys so dumb, like, saying that it was McDavid's idea and, like, come I didn't on, say it's... it was. <laughs> Uh, All right. Okay. And if anybody wants to know, just for full disclosure, uh, so Elon was second out of 96 teams. I was 49th. I'm moving on to the next round, but not by much. Uh, Lewis, short shifts Lewis was 30th. Short shifts Ben, uh, we'll save face with that one. Uh, Dave, uh, stream scheme Dave, 10th. No. <laughs> who cares? Okay, Come Ben on. was 77th. <laughs> and Stat Attack Marcus, who helpfully supplied us with a lot of the data uh, that I could bring to you in the last few minutes uh finished 65th so uh we've got a handful of keeping carlson personalities still moving on and anyone who was in division five sorry that was the group of death three teams in division five placed in the top 12 teams overall so uh, uh that, that's andreas brandon and chris couple cupful top tier players in there anyway if you liked that or like thought that was cool join us next time we do something like this which will be the cupful uh, it's a lot of fun. We pay a lot of attention. We, we we take a lot of notes. Yeah, imagine, like, I know you're probably listening to this as someone who's not playing in this pool and, like, thinking, when are you guys going to get to something I care about? <laughs> but uh, imagine how interested you'd be if we were talking about a league that you were in. So, okay. Uh, Brian, by the way, when you were speaking about Yamamoto and how he did nothing and it was surprising that that line got shaken up, I think that's maybe a lesson I'm going to take into drafts for round two. Maybe we can't depend on lines, right? Like, because you some, some players you know are going to be good just because they're great players. You know, like, Taylor Hall is going to get his points on Arizona unless they get shut out because he's going to be on the top line. Someone like Yamamoto, who I'll bet you was being taken around Hall in some of these drafts just because of the upside of playing with Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl, and then, you know, a little shift happens, and all of a sudden he goes from being amazing to nothing. And I think another guy who kind of fits that bill was Oliver Bjorkstrand, who I brought up before, who, like, was amazing at the end of the year, but he was getting that great deployment. He had bumped Cam Atkinson from the top line and top power play at the end of the year before he got injured and so now then the playoffs started i guess tortorella didn't like what he saw and all of a sudden bjorkstrand was bumped from top line and top power play he was playing with liam foodie and riley nash in the last games we had no points in four games this is another guy who was drafted super high in playoff pools i was pretty into him uh and now i feel like yeah going going into next round if columbus wins or like next year if we're thinking of drafts like now bjorkstrand again kind of becomes like he always was like high upside if things go well but super low downside because you're on this tortorella coach team and he seems like he doesn't have the trust you know of like a pierre luc dubois like at this point i might as well get into it i was going to bring this up a lot later but brian like if i if you're drafting for next round i think you go atkinson and dubois first and second probably dubois first atkinson had five points in four games before today by the way I think next, you got to go like Alexandre Texier, right? Like he's actually done pretty well and he's picked up an assist in each of the last two games and he's the one now playing with Atkinson and Dubois on the top line. So it's, it's just interesting how things go and things change quickly. So be, be wary when you're drafting, when you're hoping to get that guy that's in a good spot on a line because like all it takes is for that to change and all of a sudden your player goes from being awesome to nothing. 
Yeah, I, I think you're... There are line-dependent players that you need to be careful about. I still don't know that Bjorkstrand is one of them, although I am suffering. He is on my roster in our Kukupful pool. Sorry, in our Keeping Carlson playoff pool. And it was... Uh, obviously, it hasn't worked out for me. Like, I'm, I'm just barely keeping my head above water. But I don't feel like Bjorkstrand is a line-dependent player. And also, last year in the playoffs... uh that's when Bjorkstrand made his name. He had four points in the series against Tampa. He didn't do much against Boston. Apparently played 10 and a half minutes one game. But like, this is the exactly. thing. Jo- John Tortorella is fickle. You can't trust anyone on the Blue Jacket. So I don't think this is a strike on Bjorkstrand. It's a strike on any Blue Jacket. Like Atkinson <laughs> is just getting the reverse treatment of what he had uh, all season long. So like, yeah, I'm not going to go big on any blue jacket, except for the ones who I am a hundred percent sure are locked in, who I can't even say. I Can you name one? I wouldn't even name Pierre-Luc Dubois. Because yeah, Dubois he was, for sure. He's, he was demoted he's the top from line the top center. power play. No, but at this point, I don't know. I To me, I'm very confident in Dubois, and I'm confident in, like, Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski yeah. on D. You know who's and locked think, in yeah. in Columbus? Nick Felino is locked in. He's safe. We don't have to worry about him. He'll get his 40 points. I mean, I'm not saying Bjorkstrand is a bad player, but he for sure is line-dependent in fantasy. Like, don't say he's not a line-dependent player. Like, his he's fantasy not. value... His fantasy value wildly changes depending on what line he's on. That is the definition of line dependent. How do you define what line dependent means when we're talking about a guy who's point per game when he's on the top line? He gives you zero points. He's not even on the second line. He's not even on the Nyquist line. He's playing Foudy. He's playing Foudy and Riley Nash. Any player, if they're buried out of the top six. Exactly. Exactly. No, but so, so to some extent, every player is line dependent. But I'm saying when I'm drafting my draft strategy, like like I said, Taylor Hall is fine. Technically, he's line dependent. If Taylor Hall got 10 minutes if a game, Taylor, then... If Taylor Hall played 11 minutes a night with Riley Nash and Liam Foody, he'd have he'd have problems too, except he'd know where to go, uh, w- which restaurants to visit playing with <laughs> Liam. Yes, but what I'm saying is some players, you could be confident that won't happen, and Oliver Bjorkstrand is not yes. one of them. No, but it's not Bjorkstrand. It's any Columbus Blue Jacket. I'd say not Dubois. But anyway, fine. Like, you could... I don't know. You're giving weird advice because I think... I'm sorry. I'm being no, negative. I'm not, but I'm, like, not, I'm not giving weird... Look, I'm giving the same advice as you, but I'm saying I would not jump all over Bjorkstrand, but I'm also... I'm not assassinating his character like you are, Elon. <laughs> I'm not. I, I like him. I'm just saying that he's not someone you could depend on in fantasy right because now. Because of John Tord. But okay, not, who not cares? Who cares why? <laughs> I just want to win my fantasy league, Brian. Stop bringing all this weird I, nuance into it that I don't care. I already said you can't depend on any blue jacket. We're not singling out Bjorkstrand as a one particular guy. You can't do the same for Atkinson. I would argue to some extent you can't even trust Dubal, though he is making a name for himself. Uh, like, show me one guy on the Blue Jackets roster who's not Boone Jenner or Nick Felino who has never been in John Tortorella's doghouse. There isn't one. Yeah, but Pierre-Luc Dubois is playing like 20 minutes a game now. Anyway, all right. Let's uh, move on from there. And this is all, again, preview to a game that's about to happen. How about Texier, though? We should talk about him. Well, I brought him up. That's what I wanted to talk about. I'm just saying (laughs) Texier now, again, for sure, line defendant. But I mean, he's only 20 years old and he's getting big minutes. So obviously, Tortorella could change things on a dime. But he's a great sleeper for next year's playoff round for keeping Carlson playoff pool people. And again, like for next year in fantasy, like he's going to be on my radar. And I feel like I'm going to let someone else reach for Oliver Bjorkstrand and maybe I'll just get Alexander 
onto a Texier later in the draft because I feel like there's almost an equal chance at this point that you know they'll do the same. Like it just depends on where they get slotted in. But Texier looks like he's the real deal. Yeah, he also kind of stepped onto the scene in that series against Tampa last season and had some buzz and hype going into this season. Unfortunately, uh, he wasn't healthy. Uh, the whole year and uh, when he was healthy he wasn't getting a whole lot of deployment but under 13 minutes a night less than we thought especially because we saw room for Columbus to use him as like their second line centerman but I guess they prefer him on the wing or he's not ready to be that centerman yet I actually got him we did this pool Elon you and I were in it uh oh gosh was it Tom who organized it Uh, one of our patrons who you have to own one player from every team that's playing in this NHL postseason I got Texier like eighth out of Columbus players I was so happy about it yeah lucky I got Dubois I think second after I believe it was Lewis who took Bjorkstrand Uh, first so I got lucky there but obviously you got more lucky because you didn't have you got to wait a lot later in the draft to get your guy uh so okay that's Columbus. I wanted to get to more of this first round stuff. I thought first maybe we could go through some injury updates because I think people might be curious. I don't know how many people listening are like doing a job. Maybe some playoff pools are only starting now. Maybe some people wanted to not count the play-in round. So if you have a playoff pool, let's just, I think it's important to go through some injury updates because obviously that affects the player who was injured and also the other players who maybe take over for their spot. Uh, so I just uh, took some notes here as I went through the league. Uh, we could start in Carolina randomly. So Dougie Hamilton, uh, according to Dan Rosen on Twitter, who was coaching Coach Rod Brindamore, have already heard from Hurricanes coach Rod Brindamore, who turns 50 today. <laughs> Brindamore said it's not a lock yet that Dougie Hamilton will be ready to go when Carolina plays again, but he's in. If he's ready, which I guess, obviously, (laughs) I don't know, that's a bit of a totality there. But uh, so, yeah, so Hamilton seems like he's close, might play, might not. So a risky pick if you want to take him. Uh, By the way, Carolina is playing Washington, if I have that correct. No, that's not right. Washington's playing the Islanders. Who's Carolina Carolina playing? Carolina is playing Boston. Ooh, that's going to be a good series. It's going to be a good that's series. It's going to be exciting. So yeah, so uh, I don't know if you want to draft Dougie Hamilton, though again, then you have to decide, do I draft like a Sami Vatnin very late? We, d- we talked about him last week and how I was uh, dumb for taking Jordan Stahl. I should have just taken Vatnin. He ended up getting three assists in the three games in the sweep over the Rangers, two of those points on the power play. So Vatnin definitely has value for as long as he's on that power play. But again, only one of those three points came off the power play. So I think... You know, him and Hamilton become kind of risky choices. But if Hamilton falls far enough, then maybe it's worth rolling the dice because obviously we know what kind of upside he has. For sure. Yeah. So if you're drafting for the rest of the playoffs, Hamilton's not a bad bet. I think this Boston Carolina series could go either way. I think Boston is maybe one of the worst first round matchups for Carolina. Uh, But I'm really excited to see how it plays out. I hope it's really competitive uh, and Boston doesn't just do their thing where they steamroll over teams that just aren't quite at their level. Uh, so Hamilton would be great. Vatnin uh, did really well. Elon Vatnin versus Slavin. Who you got? Uh, obviously. Well, th- that's the thing. Like once Hamilton's back, <laughs> yeah. I think I have Slavin. Well, here, <laughs> so it- <laughs> right. So like in the meantime, Vatnin has the majority of the power play time. Um, but I will say if Hamilton does come back, I thought Vatnin would be getting enough uh, minutes at even strength to still be like somewhat reasonably expected to produce a a couple points here and there, like at least Slavin level. But his role seemed to dip 
towards the end of the season. His he, he started as like a top four guy, and then Vatnin was like a bottom pairing minute guy in the last game against New York, which I, like I don't know if that was just circumstantial, if he was playing a little hurt and they decided to rest him. Uh, but losing, if he does lose any of that five on five ice time, in addition to the power play time when Dougie comes back, then of course he is super, super irrelevant. Yeah, like Carolina's actually got a pretty strong defense, right? Like Brady Shea, who we used to be into in New York. Like, I don't know exactly how he's doing. I haven't been watching these games too closely, but he's a name, right? Jake Gardner's there. Like, not people who are, like, blowing people away with their fantasy production. But, you know, now if they also have Slavin, they have Brett Pesci, who I think was injured in the last game. But, like, uh, now if Hamilton comes back, too, like, there's not so many minutes for Vatten. And, like, he's not, maybe on some teams he would be a top four defenseman. He clearly was on New Jersey, but maybe he's not on a stacked Carolina team that could uh, pose some problems for the Boston. Bruins who didn't have a great round robin but I'm not gonna put too much weight into round robin results because it seems like some players seems like resting players and you know whatever maybe not trying their hardest so who knows the Bruins should be a good team but so so is Carolina by the way speaking of the the Hurricanes how about that top line of Aho Svechnikov and Tara Vinen Sebastian Aho eight points in those three games versus the Rangers so if you got Aho in one of your playoff pools right now you're loving him Svechnikov had five points Tavo only two points somehow I don't know how he did that playing on this line but either way uh at this point sebastian aho like if if you have like let's say seventh eighth overall in the keeping carlson playoff pool for the next round carolina plays boston who's a pretty good defensive team but how can you avoid sebastian aho like this guy uh, is looking pretty and same with svechnikov i feel like they're both just so awesome they're both potential first round guys Absolutely. Uh, like, such a great, great outing for Aho. For anyone who still doubts him, which apparently there was a group of Canes fans or hockey fans at large who were like, why did they draft him? Like, he's never going to come. Anyway, I think that's just like some weird corner of Twitter that I fell into uh, over the course of the play in round. But Aho is like this hugely skilled, very reliable player. We count on him for a point per game in the regular season. He feels to me, Elon, Aho, like what you wanted Tarasenko to be. This guy who, like, we can that I watched him getting 75, 80 points. But I actually think where I didn't, you know, sort of uh, give a ton of rope to Tarasenko for this to possibly happen, but I think Ajo has a, a still strong potential to break through that point per game mold. And we're seeing a great start from him in the playoffs. We'll see if we can keep it up. Even if he can, like, keep scoring at like a point and a half per game or whatever he's scoring at, I still uh, wouldn't anoint him more than a point per game player in the regular season. But I still, I want it to happen for Aho. Uh, he's crazy good. And then Svechnikov, what's there to say even? Uh, like we're so, we're totally bought in on him, right? I'm actually wondering, Elon, who you would prefer next season in the Cup full between Svechnikov and Aho. Like who's the first Carolina forward you draft? I'd still take Aho, but yeah, Sveshnikov, if it's for like beautiful goals, then maybe Sveshnikov. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, they're both awesome. It's also like just good for them. Like, it's great for Aho that he gets to play on a line with Sveshnikov and Teravainen. Like, at times, Carolina's been a team that sort of spread around some of their top players. Like, Sveshnikov was playing with Jordan Stahl or whatever. But now they're just stacking the top line with the three best players, making everyone else like pretty fantasy irrelevant in terms of the forwards. I guess Justin Williams is on that top power play. But aside from that, like, there's no one else that interests me on that team so they're kind of like a boston in that sense like they're just loading it up and that's great so that the top players can just really feast and get all of the points and so i wouldn't be surprised to see this be the marshawn pasternak bergeron line next year where all three of these guys are just gonna 
get a ton of points if they keep it that way. Huge potential for them to be one of the top producing lines in the league next year. Also, I need to check myself. When I was talking about the the player that Canes fans weren't bought into or like as recently as recently, uh, I meant Svechnikov, not Aho. Oh, okay. Well, they're they're still dumb. Now, every, now everyone's bought in. Yeah, uh, Brian, are you still bought in on Nino Niederreiter, or are we are we done with that? <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, Caroline doesn't seem too fun. Caroline doesn't seem too fond of like any of their secondary or tertiary scorers. Like no one really gets to step out. We thought we thought there was a lot of potential in that Carolina top nine to like do big things and step up. Like we looked at names like uh, Martin Nichas and Nino Niederreiter, and uh, oh, there's another oh. Ryan Dezingle at one point. Uh, Warren but, Fogel. They have yeah. Vincent Trocek. Remember how they have Trocek? Like, I mean, yeah. they have, like, they're good players. It, but, uh, and offense yeah. can still come from here, but it's so heavily tilted towards the top line. I still think there's more offense to be found in their top nine than in Boston's, but I, it's not a bad analogy, Elon, where, like, you know, their first line does all the offensive damage, and then the others are all defensively responsible and hope to get you on the counterattack when they can. Yeah, good team. I think that that's going to be maybe one of the tightest series next round. I guess as we go through talking through these teams, you'll let me know if there's another one that you think is equally tight sounding. Uh, okay, over to, and obviously it's completely unpredictable. Now it'll be a sweep now that I said it. But okay, another injury that I'm watching right now, Jacob Voracek missed Saturday's game for Philly, though it was a round robin game. So there's no way to know. Also, these, what do you think about this whole thing with the NHL? Like no one's giving any injury updates here. Like a player misses time. You have no idea. I guess generally in the playoffs, they don't give too strong of an inkling. But, like, we know nothing. Like, Voracek could have just basically had, like, a cold, or he could have a sprained whatever. Like, we have no idea. But anyway, with him missing that game, uh, Joel Farabee took his spot on both the top line and top power play against Tampa in the game where they clinched the top seed in the Eastern Conference. And Farabee had himself a good game, a goal and an assist versus Tampa from that top deployment. So, obviously, that's a name to watch unless uh, Voracek comes back. And then bumps Farabee back down the lineup. Also, by the way, since before I, I cut to you here uh, on Philly, uh, this other line of Konechny, Kevin Hayes, and Scott Lawton really had a good round-robin time. Like, Kevin Hayes has been awesome, getting a ton of assists. I think four assists in three games. Scott Lawton somehow uh, has five points in three games. But I guess that'll happen if you're playing with Konechny, who might even be the most offensive, talented player on the team at this point, and uh, Kevin Hayes, who's obviously a great playmaker. So uh, whoever's in that spot. So yeah, guys like Farabee and Lawton could be players to watch, depending on injuries. Obviously, if Voracek comes back, Maybe that bumps fair. Like maybe Fairby goes to that second line, and then maybe Lawton then goes to the bottom six. So it's really hard to predict and, and decide who to draft from Philly. With Voracek out, so begins our interest in Farabee. We've liked him when he gets deployment, and he's gotten it a lot in the past. Like, he played this season, for the most part, with Hayes and Scott Lawton, but he also saw time with Konechny, Couturier, Giroux, Van Riemsdyk, Voracek. Those were all his next most common line mates. So... He's no stranger to being in Philly's top six or like a really strong top nine. Uh, and we've seen flashes of good stuff from him. Uh, former first round pick in 2018, he went 14th overall. So the pedigree is there and we'll see if something can break through here in these playoffs. Scott Lawton also, I, I don't just want to laugh him off. He seems like a playoff type performer, kind of like a, 
I don't know if this is the right analogy, but like an Anthony Sorelli. Lawton's like this hardworking mid-sixer who endears himself to his coach and pr- can push for goals uh, here and there and, and helping set them up. And look at his line mates right now. As you mentioned, Lawton's playing uh, up with Konechny and Hayes. That's a good spot to be. Uh, Kevin Hayes, you know I love, right? Like is a legit second line center. So, uh, so that's a really, you're not compromising when you're playing with Kevin Hayes. I'm going to throw in one more name that our listeners may or may not be familiar with, along with Faraby and Lawton. I'm going to throw in Nicholas Obeku-Bell's name, who's playing with Van Riemsdyk and Derek Grant on, like, not the most exciting line. But he's got a he's got a fun story that I'm interested in watching. So he played uh, his in his first NHL games last year, uh, in 2018-19, uh, as a 22-year-old. He, he was a former second-round pick in 2014. He played nine games and saw just five and a half minutes a night, uh, which is like garbage, right? Like, what do you even, like, why bother? And he actually, like, called out his coach at the time. Uh, like, I don't know how direct it was, but I saw this quote where he's like, I didn't work my whole life to make the NHL and play five and a half minutes a night. Like, I know I'm better than this. And he has been in the AHL. His rookie season was the only season he's been below a point per game there. 86 points in 72 games as a sophomore, 69 points in 54 games the next year, 20 points in 26 games this year to go with his 19 points in 36 NHL games. So this is just someone to watch. Also, I should point out, like he got, uh, sorry, 19 penalty minutes, 15 points in 36 games for Obey Kubel in just 11 minutes a night. Uh, nearly three hits a game. So that helps get him some trust and, and adoration from his coach. Uh, and so far, two goals on seven shots in three games in the playoffs for Obey Kubel. Still just seeing 11 minutes a night, but he is someone to at least be watching from the corner of your eye. Yeah, I mean, Obey Kubel seems good. Like, there's a reason why Philly landed the top seed, right? This is a deep, scary-looking team. And now they get Montreal in the first round, who I guess we can't underestimate the Habs after what they did to Pittsburgh. But I feel like Philly's got a really good shot to ha- have a good run in, the, in these playoffs. And I think a lot of people have been talking about how this is going to be a really fun series to see, you know, the longtime considered top goalie in the league, Carey Price, against this newcomer, Carter Hart, who's like the best young goalie in the league, like under the age of 22 or whatever. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But I got to imagine Philly is the heavy, heavy favorite. Do you think Philly's as good as their seeding suggests? Like, do you see them as, like, the favorite coming out of the East ahead of the the Tampa Bays and the Washingtons and the Bostons of the world? Or do you think it's just, like, whatever, short round robin, anything could happen? Well, I mean, I don't put any stock into the round robin results, but I don't need to, to believe in Philadelphia. They were one of the best teams in the league, both on paper and by the eye test, going down the stretch. Like, it seemed like they found this new gear. Everything was clicking. And what you'll realize as you look down this roster, and as I just named guys like Farabee, Lawton, Kevin Hayes, Obey Kubel, Uh, they have this depth like they are a thick team with two c's i was actually (laughs) in this playoff draft and i ended up with uh drafting four flyers in 16 roster spots but i could have had them all if i wanted to but i was obviously scared to invest too much in one team in this playoff pool Uh, but it seemed like everyone was sleeping on them i don't think anyone is sleeping on them now uh and there's just so many good options like and it's kind of like a horizontal landscape you've got couturier probably at the top for me and giroux uh, and connectney yeah connectney and then you've got voracek hayes van reemsdijk and then these other like 
secondary tertiary guys who can still put their, uh, you know, g- get a point here and there. So, uh, and of course, Carter Hart, and you've got Provorov on the back end, and uh, you're going to be mad at me, but I'm just going to, I'm going to bring Gosper. up. Gosper? Yeah. He had a good game, right? Yeah, he had a good game. He, he got was scratched, and then he got in and he got some points. Very good. Uh, Brian, by the way, no. I think uh, the, the person I'm more mad at you about is like including JVR with yeah. like Voracek and Hay. Like, That's come fair. on, like, let, let, let's get to the present here. Like, JVR is nothing now. Well, now he has Nicholas <laughs> Obeykubel as a centerman. Exactly. Uh, so, hey, uh, by the way, when you were saying they're a sleeper team, one guy who could be a sleeper in drafts in the next round is like Claude Giroux, just because he got zero points. So maybe some people are like worried about him, but I wouldn't be worried about him. So he's someone I'd be happy to draft. Yeah. Should I take another run of Ghost Bear? Or you're just going to shut me down. You know, he's now tied in that one game for the team lead in scoring by defenseman. Two points. Okay. It's one, it's one game and he was scratched. <laughs> like you could draft him. He might get scratched again by the next game. So I guess fine. Brian, obviously he's not nothing. Like we I talked about game. Yeah. Uh, so you might be thinking, listening to our chat about Philly, yeah, there's a lot of exciting players, but who? it's hard to draft for like the playoffs where you're locked in because I don't know if Farabee or Lawton or any of these people, I don't know what line they're going to be on. But if you were just looking for one game where you could see the pregame line combos, you might be able to get a leg up by knowing. And that's why it might be really fun to play daily fantasy over on DraftKings, who are sponsoring our episode today. So yeah, let's switch over, and I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about DraftKings. It's obviously been a lot of fun to be backseeing our boys on the ice and on the court if you're into basketball. Uh, the restart has happened. We're like deep into the playoffs now for hockey, and there's DraftKings games that you can be playing every single day. You know how it works at this point, right? You, you have a budget, and then you're going to be picking players to f- put on your team. You have a certain number of like centers and left wings and right wings and defense and goalies that you need to take you got to fit it within your budget and then at the end you compete against the other people in your matchup and you could end up winning some money it's it's a lot of fun and again with these like philly players i feel like you could probably get like a joel farabee or a scott lawton or an abe cobell for like what 25 2500 like 3000 you know that's like the low end so you want you need to be able to get those value guys that's the fun of it right there's a strategy where you know i'm going to spend my big money on the guys who i could depend on and then i need to be smart and get those cheap guys that i think have a chance to produce and so yeah all on DraftKings you play this game there's no better way to put your hockey and basketball knowledge to the test and you can compete for a share of get this millions of dollars that's what it says here you might think I'm lying and you don't have to bet millions of dollars but you could win millions of dollars and you know not only is there basketball and hockey uh, all a bunch of sports golf we talked last week is on there so everything's up there uh, so get in on the action uh, whenever you want and you'll have millions of dollars up for grabs over on DraftKings I just thought you were going to end the sentence with get in the action, you'll have millions of dollars. It's not quite that simple. But uh, by the way, uh, what you want to do is if you're going to play DraftKings, download the app now and use the promo code Carlson to get a shot at the millions of dollars that Elon keeps referencing in prizes every day this week. That's promo code Carlson, as in Eric's last name, to get a shot at millions of dollars in prizes every day this week, only at DraftKings. Uh, Eligibility restrictions might apply. So see DraftKings dot com for details yeah and draft those flyers it's good they're good though i guess they are playing against montreal so then you know carrie price always has the ability to shut these people down so on a single day it's uh, no guarantees no guarantees in DraftKings. that's what they say (laughs) that's what everybody says about DraftKings. no guarantees uh do you uh like do you want to talk about let's talk round two strategy at the end of the show like which matchups look the juiciest 
Sure. Well, I mean, we'll be going through these teams, and as we go, we can also do that, and then we'll okay. round up everything we didn't catch. If we're Let's do, do it as we go. Then this is where I say I really like Philadelphia against Montreal. Like, if you want to load up, go for it. Yeah, but were you saying the same thing versus Pittsburgh? Like no. when Pittsburgh was against Montreal? I wasn't. Oh, so you had a hunch? Like, expl- like please uh, expand on that. Because I feel like I want to agree with you, but I just saw Montreal stifle this amazing offensive team. So I would be at least a little part of the back of my mind is like, well, why couldn't they just keep this up and play this like different style of game, make these like low scoring games? Yeah, well, I think Philadelphia is better at both ends of the rink than Pittsburgh is at this point. And also Montreal didn't just stifle Pittsburgh's offensive game. They took advantage of Pittsburgh's like very weak third pairing who still got like shared minutes with the other two pairings and took advantage of Pittsburgh playing the wrong goalie too. I don't think Philadelphia is about to make those same mistakes or be as vulnerable in those same ways. And I know this is about offense, right? So uh, I just think Philadelphia is going to be able to pick Montreal apart. So we'll see. Montreal is one of the better like team defensive teams in the league. Like they can. And Are they? Uh, I mean, that's a weird thing, right? They don't, they shouldn't be, but uh, I guess they were in this series. Like, uh, people units, always. Right? Like, you look at their yeah. top line of Deneau, Gallagher, and Tatar, or, well, not so much anymore. Like, that's been changed, <laughs> which we'll get to. But, like, this is a team that plays a, a very much a two way minded game, right? They're never going all out on offense. They're always sort mm-hmm. of playing, uh, they're playing Claude Julien hockey. Yeah, for sure. And they have. At, when he's at his best, one of the best goalies in all of hockey and Carey Price. So it's, I think it's it all comes down to if Carey Price can continue to put up like a 940 save percentage. If he does, then your Philly picks may not do so well, but that's a hard thing to do. He did it over five or four games versus Pittsburgh. We'll see how many games he could keep this up versus Philly. Uh, so, okay, continuing on with these injuries. Uh, so over on Tampa, we've got both Hedman and Stamkos. They've been out. So Stamkos hasn't even played yet at all. And regarding Stamkos, uh, Coach Cooper said he's working his tail off to get back. And reiterated injuries are unpredictable. And for now, Stamkos is out indefinitely. So take that for what basically we don't know and, and Hedman got injured in the last game he was very frustrated if you saw when he was walking off he like smashed his stick which on one hand is like he's disappointed but on the other hand it's like he was walking off so maybe that means he couldn't have been too bad I think he was limping a little bit but it's not as if he was stretchered off so who knows uh and again that makes it really tough if you're doing a draft tomorrow like the Kevin Carlson playoff pool people are uh obviously I should point out Mikhail Sergachev got the top power play time in that game versus Philly yesterday and he played 26 minutes overall so you know huge opportunity for Sergachev if Hedman is out uh that would be really rough for Tampa of course but uh who are going against the winner like we discussed of this Toronto Columbus series um but yeah that's the injury update, which isn't much of an update, but just buyer beware, I guess, with Hedman and Stamkos, because we just don't know. Yeah, I have nothing more to add except Sergachev, if he does handle the top power play role. he He's never really taken huge advantage of the opportunities he's had there in the past, but I still have every faith that he can. Yeah, I feel like especially if they're against Toronto, this could end up being a really big like run-and-gun series with like lots of goals. So in that case, like you'd probably want to be loading up on these Tampa guys. Uh, if if you're curious, the Lions uh, lately with you know with Stamkos out, they've had Kucherov, Point, and Palat. So Andre Palat is the lucky beneficiary getting on that top line. And then the rest like isn't too exciting. I guess the second line has been Killorn, Anthony Sorelli, and Tyler Johnson. And then the top power play has been Kucherov, Point, Killorn, Tyler Johnson, and Sergachev. So I guess you could choose. You could get Palat on the top line, or you can get like a Killorn or Taijo on the top power play. Uh, obviously, Kucherov and Point are the guys that you're going after if you get an early pick in your playoff pools. Palat and Tyler Johnson 
will again have the opportunity to do stuff which we know they've often had and not done anything with. But, uh, you know, you always see it sort of bubbling right to the surface. And we'll we'll see if either one pops with any opportunity <laughs> they get with these injuries. Yeah, I feel like the thing with Tampa is like they could just have one blowout game, you know, and make like a Tyler Johnson all of a sudden like a worthwhile pick for the whole round because he could have like a three point game. And all of a sudden that's better than a lot of other people. But yeah, I feel like these are more like guys you go for on DraftKings and not people you depend on for a long stretch. Uh, Then uh, let's go to Vancouver. Tyler Toffoli was spotted wearing a walking boot earlier this week. Again, we have no like updates, but someone saw him in this walking boot, which isn't that good. He's still in the bubble for what it's worth. If he was like so badly injured, they would have just sent him home. So who knows? With Toffoli out, the Canucks went back to the lines they were going with, like, you know, before they got Toffoli and before Besser got injured at the end of the year. So Pedersen, Miller, and Besser on the top line. Then Horvat, Pearson, and Louis Erickson on the second line. The top power play has been Besser, Horvat, Miller, Pedersen, and of course, Quinn Hughes, who crushed that first round series versus Minnesota. Six points in four games to lead all defensemen in the play-in round. Uh, so great job for Quinn Hughes and obviously great for like all the Canucks you'd expect to do well, did well. Like uh, Horvat had five points, Pedersen had four points, and then Besser, Pearson, and JT Miller all had three points in the four games. So lots of good people that you get on Vancouver who are now officially playing, I believe it is, St. Louis because Dallas beat St. Louis today. So Dallas gets to play Calgary and St. Louis plays Vancouver, which uh, should be fun. That's another series that I could see being pretty close, actually. That'll be fun. Yeah, that one feels like it could go either way, but it could go for nothing either way between hmm. St. Louis and Vancouver. But Quinn Hughes continuing to make a name for himself, right? Remember, wasn't he in our hot takeoff as being like he'll be a top two or top three defenseman pick next season? I yeah, just- maybe then we like didn't give the uh, the win to this take because it wasn't hot enough. They should have just gone all right. out and said like, right. number one. <laughs> yeah, so but like now he is definitely leaping into that rarefied air of being like a top five drafted defenseman in the regular season up in the spots that Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, Roman Yosi, John Carlson, Chris Letang usually occupy. Quinn Hughes and of course Kel McCarr, who's playing in the round robin, meaningless games. We're not really paying attention, but Quinn Hughes, wow. Yeah, he did really well. Uh, another guy who I think might challenge to be in that spot very soon, if not already, is Shea Theodore over on Vegas, who did a great job in his round robin games for whatever weight you want to put on. He had four points in three games. And so, yeah, it, like, who do you even take? Like, Brian, for the KKPP, Keeping Carlson Playoff Pool, who's the top defenseman off the board, in your opinion? John Carlson, we should say. Is, has been injured, but I saw a quote from Todd Reardon from a tweet by Samantha Pell saying that I'm hopeful he'll be able to play in game one, which I guess we're all hopeful, but hopefully if he's saying that, it means he thinks it's it's likely. So John Carlson should be back between like a Carlson, Makar, I guess Theodore, I'm probably missing some people, but uh, who would you take as the number one defenseman off the board at this point for the next round? Yes, I'm just quickly looking through the options here, and it sort of depends if Columbus or Toronto moves forward, so we're just going to put them aside for now, but with Hedman injured and Carlson potentially injured, uh, I think probably your top choices are uh, Quinn Hughes, Cal McCarr, Shea Theodore, Tori Krug, let's not forget about Tori Krug, Uh, so, uh, oh, and of course Shane Gostisbehere. 
Shut up. <laughs> uh, Shea Weber had a good first round, by the way. He had four points for Montreal, but, uh, you know, I guess he'll have a tough opponent in Philadelphia. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty even D landscape at this point. Like, I feel like there's four or five guys who could all challenge. Like, no one would call someone dumb for picking any of these guys as the first defenseman off the board. Uh, since we're talking about Vegas, though, when I brought up Shea Theodore, more injury updates. Max Pacioretty, who didn't play in the round robin, tweet from Jesse Granger. Max Pacioretty is still not in Edmonton. DeBurr said he's really close and that he's closer than on the horizon. That was like what I wrote when I was prepping this episode earlier today. I just saw a tweet that I retweeted like later today saying he's going to play. Like apparently he's back and he's and he's going to play apparently in the first game. Obviously we'll see uh, when the warm-ups start but yeah, Pacioretty's ready to go for this round and he's going to obviously jump right onto the line that Stevenson has been keeping warm. So it'll be Pacioretty with Stone and Carlson I'm sure and then Marcia so with Smith and Stasny. That's where they ended the season. That's like what we were expecting going into the playoffs and by the way mark stone and william carlson have been doing fantastically mark stone five points in his three round robin games plus i would say that uh las vegas probably has one of the best chances to score a lot of goals because they're against chicago who's not a very great defensive team so i don't know brian this might be crazy but i might be into like a shea theodore and like maybe even a mark stone as like the top forward and top defenseman to take just for this next round in the kkpp just because for this one round you have these super offensive guys against a pretty weak looking team like you know obviously chicago's not too bad they just made it to this round but of the remaining teams i really like this matchup for the vegas guys and obviously include max patch in there I think everyone's going to look straight to Colorado to be finding like those juicy offensive opportunities because they're against Arizona and they're freaking Colorado. Uh, but I think Vegas is, I, I don't know how quiet they are. I don't know how they're really perceived. I don't think, you know, because they don't have, I mean, it's Mark Stone, but nobody knows that he is like their one standout, like fully elite superstar on that roster. Um, so like everyone just looks and says like, oh yeah, no one really sticks out. It's just a, a bunch of guys working together, getting the job done. Unlike Colorado where, you know, you have the top two, three or four, uh, really making the biggest impact. But I think Vegas could absolutely provide some solid value if people are looking past them, which they absolutely shouldn't be. Like to me, it's obvious, like the teams that really stand out for me next round are Columbus and, or, sorry, Colorado, Vegas and Philly as the teams I want to draft the most players from. I'll throw Dallas in there as being against Calgary. Oh. But Dallas is just like has let us down as an offensive team so many times. We know they're playing defense first. Uh, so it would just be like, well, they're going to score a couple goals because they're probably going to win. And I don't know how strong defensively Calgary is or their goalie, which I, I think we're also touching on later in the show. Yeah, I don't know where to go now. I want to talk about <laughs> Cam Talbot, but I also did still want to talk about this first overall pick things. I did actually tweet if you had first overall pick in the KKPP. So for just this next round, I was just curious to ask who people would take. And a lot of votes for McKinnon, a lot of votes for Pasternak, uh, one vote for Jonathan Taves, which was fun. Uh, but yeah, like you say that Colorado looks pretty good against Arizona, but don't forget that Arizona has got Darcy Kemper, who's just so good. I know in this last round, he like played really well in terms of save percentage, but still let in a lot of goals just because it was a high-scoring series against Nashville. Uh, I don't know. I was debating this with Ben, and he definitely disagrees with me. But I think Arizona is the type of team that, you know, when they were against Nashville, they're going to be like, okay, I think we can like take this team on just like 
you know, we don't have to like shut it down too much because like we could compete with them offensively. Uh, but I think with Colorado, I could see Arizona really just getting back to that like core type of game that they like to play where they just like try to limit chances and don't do take any risks. And I could see potentially them trying to keep it a low scoring series. And with someone like Kemper and Nets, who's starting to establish himself as like probably one of the top goalies in the league at this point, this guy just keeps on winning games and he keeps on putting up sparkling save percentage. We're on like the third straight year of this now. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm not saying that, like, you know, they're going to beat Colorado. I know but. how much you love Arizona. I just think Colorado's going to overwhelm them. Like, I, I believe in them, too. Uh, they actually haven't been as defensively minded uh, as of late. And they still have Kemper as their last line of defense, thank goodness. But, yeah, I just see the avalanche overwhelming them. I, I, I see the point you're trying to make, but I, 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 I'm not worried about Darcy Kemper stopping guys like McKinnon and Ranton and McCarr from picking up points. Yeah, by the way, Colorado's got an interesting... We're just jumping all around here, but that, I hope, hopefully people are liking this. Is, this is a playoff podcast for you. Uh, but yeah, Colorado, McKinnon, Ranson, and Landeskog, like you said, that hasn't been the top line lately. And I know in our last episode, we were talking about Andre Burakovsky, who in the training camp was playing on the top line, but that didn't last. And let me just find this in my notes here. So uh, then it looks like Colorado actually gave him to Mesnikov, that sweet spot on the top line with McKinnon and Ranson, and he scored a goal, for what it's worth, in one of the games. And then Kadri, Landeskog, Nishushkin were making up the second line. So Nazem Kadri all of a sudden becomes a big name. He's also been on the top power play, and Kadri had four points in three games, and like McKinnon and Landeskog also did well. So yeah, lots of big names. I almost feel like you take McKinnon, then you take Rantanen, and then probably like Kadri and Landeskog, you could you could flip a coin. Uh, anyways, that's my uh, Colorado roundup. If you did draft Burakovsky because you got excited about us saying that he was going to be on the top line, you still can't be mad. Even though he was on the third line with Donsko and Comfer, he still put up three points in three games. So obviously Colorado is a deep team and they could score from all their lines. And he could end up anywhere within that top nine, right? Like, there's a decent chance he ends up next to Kadri. There's a decent chance he ends up back next to McKinnon. So still a worthy flyer to take. Yeah, you know what, Brian? So I'm going to have first overall pick in my draft, because like you said, I was the second highest scoring team in the first round. And you know what? F it. I'm just going to go with my gut. I'm taking Mark Stone first overall. I don't care. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't see anything wrong with that. Whoever has second overall is going to get McKinnon. They're going to think they got a gift. Whoever has third overall is going to get Pasternak. They're going to think they got a gift. But I could see... Uh, the, the, my prop, my concern is more just like Vegas sweeping Chicago. And then that series over is over too fast. But I'm hoping they'll at least score a lot of goals in the meantime. You know, you, you've really like contrasting Chicago and Arizona. They're not that different. And I think Chicago has a better lineup like top to bottom they've got a we talked about their strong top nine on last week's playoffs watch list episode Uh, so that's there the defense is middling but i wouldn't say arizona's is a whole lot better and Corey crawford can be every bit as good as darcy kemper he's just more up and yeah Mm -hmm. oh for sure he can he's just more up and down than darcy kemper so uh like darcy kemper is more like solid reliable you know more often than not you're going to get a good performance from him. Corey Crawford, you're going to get 10 games of being on fire or 10 games of being hot garbage. Sure. I mean, any goalie could get a shutout every once in a while. Like, I think that Kemper... What? Or you're saying that you're saying that Crawford could potentially have a, a great series that will equal what? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, it's possible. I do think that the Arizona defense is underrated. Like, don't forget, Chikrin was injured for a while at the end of the year. Like, when everyone's healthy, they've got Goligoski, Hjalmarsson, Chick, who I think was also injured for a bit. Like Ekman, Larson, Chikrin, Demers, like Osterly, like uh, you know, no, no one too exciting sounding. But I think they have like a really strong D when they're healthy. That's why I'm excited about Arizona. I feel like they were good before injuries, and now I'm excited to see what they'll be able to do fully 
fully healthy with a Taylor Hall, with, by the way, a Phil Kessel, who is not terrible anymore, at least in this series against Nashville. Kessel had a good series. He held that spot, by the way, on the top line and top power play. So, uh, you're right. I'm into Arizona. I like him. I, I don't, I didn't consider it an upset when they beat Nashville. I wasn't surprised. And, uh, I will be surprised if they beat Colorado, but I think they could, I think they could win a game or two. Uh, do you want to make a bet on who wins more games in their series? Sure. Let's put some stakes on it. We always make these bets and then even forget we made it. Oh, it's funny you should say that, Elon, because I actually recently tabulated all the bets we made over the course of the regular season. Mm -hmm. And did you win most most of them? Oh, we made 16. I won 11 of them. And we tied on one. All right. Well, so good thing those ones didn't have stakes. And once we made a bet for a pizza, and I never got the pizza. We have to remind... I don't even remember what it is. That's the problem. Okay, so how about let's do double or nothing on this pizza right now? No, Deal? I'm still... No, I want my pizza. Okay, well, what's this bet for? This oh. call... You were the one who said, let's make a bet. Chicago versus Arizona. Yeah. I'm saying yes. We'll I'm asking you, what we... do you want to bet? I don't want to bet anything. Well, so obviously you don't feel so strongly if you're not willing to bet anything. I'd be willing to bet $10. How about I, that? That doesn't mean that I don't feel strongly I, because I won't bet. I think that's a that's a false whatever okay there's, there's some... you're the one who said want to bet i like we have a pizza dangling we could easily double or nothing this pizza but you're just like i don't obviously want to actually bet i just want to you just want to be a, a gentleman's bet but then we're gonna forget but okay we'll keep up we'll remember for next week at least i think chicago is going to do better than arizona okay yeah i'd be willing to bet <laughs> if you change your mind <laughs> well, we're, gonna, we're just we're putting it on the table it's there it's done but i don't want i don't want this to be like what do you need just I, for well, I guess I'm saying I don't want it to just be in a list of, like, 16 other bets that I don't even remember. I want to start that fresh. you lost most, like, the large majority yeah. of. But it seems like we were just, like, throwing out bets willy Like, you know, how hard was I even thinking about these bets? I don't even you remember thinking, any of them. You said, oh, come on. I, remind, what was one of those bets? Tell me one of those bets. I honestly can't remember one bet. Uh, Jesper Bratt versus Jack Hughes. And who did I say? I said Jack Hughes? Yeah. Okay, well... Surprise you made versus that. Norris. Connor Sherry versus Middlestat. Clefbaum versus Norris? Nurse. What is that? Oh, Nurse. I said that Clefbaum would get less points than Nurse? You did. What, this season? You did. Come on. No, that must have been like fantasy points. That this must have been fantasy points. This during the Almanac recording. All right, let's go back and listen. All right, so where was where was I? Did, I get, did we get through all these injuries? We said John Carlson. Uh, I think that's it for the injuries. I wanted to recap last week. We already I brought up Burakovsky, who we talked about last week, so that didn't work out. I brought, we brought up Phil Kessel last week, who was on the top line. That did stay the same. And by the way, Burakovsky, I guess, did work out in terms of points. Uh, we talked about Kubalik last week because he had been coming off this like five-point game. Only one more point in the four remaining games after that or in those three remaining games, I should say, after that crazy first game for Chicago over Edmonton. So, I don't know, Kubalik's still an exciting guy, if you could draft him. But yeah, he didn't keep it up to that extent. Still, his overall numbers look great. Uh, And he's on Brian's favorite team, the Chicago Blackhawks. You know he's going to do well. Uh, so then the last thing I guess we wanted to bring up here. So, oh no, we want, we still have a couple things we wanted to bring up here. I had some play in surprises. So p- players who surprised us in this first round, I think we've already covered a lot of them also. So let's just look through the list here. Then you could tell me if you have one. We talked about Cam Atkinson and how he got back that great spot and got all those points that Bjorkstrand hadn't getting during the season. So, uh, I guess no final words. I guess we, I think we put a lot of words already into Columbus and, and Toronto for teams that haven't even, uh, you know, we, we know less than the listeners at this point about. Yeah, agreed. 
By the way, uh, Columbus is winning right now. One <laughs> I nothing. Mean, I was. I thought of saying <laughs> that. <laughs> okay. Do, who do your thing. Uh, Who's, Wierens- oh, Wierenski. Who is playing? Who's healthy? So that yeah. if they do win tonight, and you're listening to this, and Columbus still exists, then uh, yeah, that's that's appealing. Yeah. So draft uh, Pierre Luc Dubois. I think. <laughs> what about uh, Wierenski? Okay. Yeah. Also Wierenski. He's good. What? Next. We were talking before about Columbus, and know, you were saying. But- but we were just talking about well, Wierenski now, being healthy. Yeah, of course, yeah. I'd say draft Dubois, Wierenski, and Seth Jones for sure. Yeah. And probably Cam Atkinson because he's in this really good spot. And Texier. So all those guys. But also it's just one nothing. So probably actually, like they, Toronto was losing 3 nothing, and they came back. That was a very exciting game. Uh, Montreal, you said you wanted to bring it up. They changed up that top line. They'd all s- well, you brought it up. You said we we're going to talk about it at some I, point. Okay, sorry. Oh, Go no. Ahead. We're starting to hate each other a little bit by the end. This is We're not used to doing these long podcasts together. This is supposed to only be an hour. This is not any longer than we usually do. It's just less organized. Yeah, you wanted, you wanted to talk about Montreal and how they sw- switched up their first line. I just alluded to it earlier. Fair. Okay, well, so you don't want to talk about it, but I want to talk about it. Uh, they went all year with Deneau, Santorin, Gallagher, and Tatar. Very successful line. But obviously, they thought, what if, what if we don't have... Deneau there. What if we put Nick Suzuki there? And obviously it worked out because Montreal went ahead and won that series. So Nick Suzuki all of a sudden is a top line center on this team, centering Gallagher and Tatar. He's also been on the top power play with those two and Weber and Jonathan Drouin. And if you recall in my interview with Arpon Basu about the Habs, he said Suzuki was going to be like awesome as soon as next year. He was like, like he's already had a great rookie season and Basu just had only great things to say about Nick Suzuki. And already in this playoffs, he's getting like huge ice time. He played over 20 minutes in the elimination game. Now he's a top liner. Uh, I think he's going to be the top line center on Montreal for like the next like six, seven, I don't know, like seven years, like uh, depending how if they can lock him down to a contract. I think at this point, Suzuki's got it. Like he's bumped to no, maybe like for this playoffs, they might switch back at some point. But yeah, Suzuki's like the real deal. And Montreal's leaning on him hard to try to get past Philadelphia in the next round. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll definitely see how it goes. It's interesting to see how Montreal makes their lines. And I, I just don't know that Suzuki being moved up quote-unquote up, because I feel like you just get moved across Montreal's lines, speaks to, I mean, sure, like, he's so super capable, I'm not arguing it, I also think he's got he's got this great pedigree, I think he's got a bright NHL future ahead of him, but I also just wonder if Montreal just figured this was a better way to spread out their lineup, and, like, I, I don't think that Montreal looks at one line as being, you know, something to focus on and tweak. <laughs> I think they're, they're looking at, like, the whole lineup picture. I guess what I'm trying to say is I still believe in Phil Deneau, even though yeah, he's moved okay. off the quote-unquote top line. Yeah, he was playing with Lekkonen and someone, not Armia, maybe Paul Byron, I think. And then there was the Lekin- then there was the Armia line with Drewan. Anyways, yeah, they do have a lot of lines. Brian, it's funny that you say that, because you and I used to argue, and you used to be like, the top line on Montreal is the Deneau-Gallagher-Tatar line, but now that like uh, Deneau's moved off that line, like, eh, it's not a top line anymore. But I think Suzuki at this point is, at least for offense, better than Deneau. I know Deneau's like a oh, really great sure. two-way player. I'm yeah. with you on that. And then, yeah, Carey Price, we already discussed. He was awesome. I lo- I'm very happy to see this, by the way. I want Carey Price to have a great playoff run. Uh, it's, it might end soon, but th- it was really cool to see because he's had a couple of rough seasons. Uh, over on the Islanders, I did want to point out that Anthony Beauvillier had himself a series for the Islanders. He had five points in four games and 16 shots in those four games versus Florida. 
That was from his spot on the second line with Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey. Bill Villiers was also on the second power play, but he did have two power play points. And the Islanders actually spread those power plays out pretty evenly. So, like, it's interesting because on the flip side, the top line of Barzal, Lee, and Eberly, Barzal was good. But, like, Anders Lee, no points in, in those four games played the versus Beauvillier. The Islanders. Yeah, well, except not, because Lee at least was still getting the good deployment. He just uh, wasn't capitalizing. Bjorkstrand at least has an excuse that he was bumped down a little bit. Uh, so yeah, the Islanders play Washington in the next round. Trotz's new team versus Trotz's old team. And uh, obviously you want Barzal if you can get him. I think. I, I don't really, like, have so much faith in Braden Hopi. Like, I think that the Islanders are going to score some goals. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to win the series, but I think it's going to also be, like, potentially a very close series. The Islanders are a strong team. And I'm wondering, like, who's the second pick after you take Matt Barzell? Is it Beauvillier? Or do you stick with one of these, like, Lee or Eberly who are on the top line? Oh, that's a tough one. You know me. I think I'd still go with Lee or Eberly. Or what about Ryan Pulak? That power yeah. plays... Uh, well, he has one power play point. I guess you never pick an Islanders guy because of their their power play production. Or Brock Nelson, three points in four games, and he's just like a reliable player. So I feel like if you go for somebody like Beauvillier or Bailey or Lee or Eberly, you might get to you might you might strike gold or you might totally strike out. Whereas Brock Nelson is just going to be somewhere in the middle. So at least you know you can expect something from him. So I actually might lean him rather than spin the wheel of uh, of aisle scores. Yeah, that's fair. Beauvillier seems to have a lot of upside. He's, he's like a very talented player. He's had, he had runs this year. Remember, he went on that run of like 10, 12 games where he was getting points every game. He was blowing up. I guess Derek Broussard also did that, and we saw how that worked out. But Beauvillier seems to be more of the real deal at this point. And Derek Broussard uh, isn't even on the team. Where is Broussard now? We, Didn't he get traded? I, I, he's barely in the NHL, if at all. I, I, Beauvillier is just someone... I mean, he's only 22, right? So... He's already played four full years in the NHL. He's never, he's always had these sort of glimpses of opportunity and then glimpses of talent to go with it, but they've been accompanied by much longer stretches of doing nothing. This year, 39 points in 68 games was obviously his most successful season yet, but let's see when he can build on it and when, if and when he can break out. Like, I'll give him another couple years, uh, but a strong playoff performance would at least give his coach good reason, except if you play for Barry Trotz, there are limited opportunities to break out ever. Yeah, also, I'm so rude. Broussard is still on the Islanders. He didn't get traded. I don't know why I said that. Uh, J.G. Pajot had a decent playoff series also. I think that's why they got him, right? He's like, as a Sens fan, I'm sure you remember all the playoff heroics from Pajot. This is his time to shine. And uh, clearly a good acquisition for them. And uh, I, yeah, what do you, what do you think? I, I, are you with me that the Islanders pose a strong threat? I think they might be one of the teams I'd rank the highest in terms of chances to beat one of the round-robin teams. Yeah. I, I'm with you, actually. I'm, I'm just looking down the list now. So you've got the Islanders against Washington, uh, Carolina against Boston, Columbus That's Toronto, another one we like. Yeah. Montreal against Philly. Then you've got Vancouver, Calgary, Arizona, Chicago. I'll put, uh, yeah, I'll put the Islanders in Vancouver as my two likeliest round robin teams to move on. And of course, they're like two of the strongest seeds that existed who would have made the playoffs anyway, going back to my argument at the start of the <laughs> of the show yeah yeah i would i would include carolina in there as the other one i think has a really strong chance to move forward but yes yes for sure boston's like a little harder to imagine Louis losing than st louis and washington but carolina would would be next for me but they're like in a different tier yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Uh, and then I guess the one last player I wanted to bring up is someone who you've already said you are, are not into because you recommended that people draft Dallas people because it's so easy to score against Calgary. But I do want to point out that Cam Talbot 
had himself a series, right, versus Winnipeg. And of course, we did talk last week about how Winnipeg was so screwed with their injuries to Shifley and Line at the time. And so I don't know how much credit, but you got to give Talbot some credit, who had only six goals against in four games, 945 save percentage. It's even just interesting the fact that he got the four games, considering, you know, I think it was pretty much up in the air of Riddick versus Talbot in terms of who was going to get these starts in the playoffs. And like Riddick, I think, got more starts in the regular season. There was one stretch where Talbot took over for a bit, but then Riddick started getting starts again. Uh, and like Talbot is like earning himself millions of dollars with every single win because he's an unrestricted free agent this offseason. And I think if there was no playoffs at all, he wouldn't have gotten like he had a decent season. Like he definitely proved that he still has some game, but I don't think he would have seen that much money. But now if he could keep leading Calgary and if he could somehow help them take out the Dallas Stars, this guy's going to earn like millions of dollars with each win because maybe then he could get himself a big contract. I feel like the Flames might just have to sign him because at this point, I don't know, like David Riddick, I just don't think it's in the cards for him, at least not for the near future, to be a starter on this team. Like last year, it was Mike Smith who bumped him right at the end and became the starting goalie for the playoffs. Now this year, it's Talbot. So clearly the Flames organization doesn't have faith in playing Riddick in a playoff game, at least at this point. Yeah, no, agreed. It's, I mean, we made the argument uh, partway through the season that Talbot deserved to be the goalie over Riddick, and uh, I'm happy about it, right? Clearly, it's it's coming to fruition. Uh, and But keep in mind, when you're saying Talbot's, like, earning millions, of, this is his first good season since 2016-17. Like, it's been a rocky road from him since, uh, since the year, I guess it was his second year with Edmonton, which was his second year as a full-time starter after breaking out as, like, an injury replacement for Lundqvist. Um, so, uh, like, he has a checkered track record. Uh, so I, I just don't know, like, I, I, I would hope that teams looking for goalies are gun-shy enough to know better uh, that you can't just throw millions of dollars at a goalie because he had a good playoff performance. But yes, it, it, it would be nice if Cam Talbot did turn out to be at least a slightly above league average goalie, which he has been at other times in his career. So uh, way to go, Kim Talbot. Earn that next contract. You're 32. This might be your last one. Yeah, when I say he's gonna, he's earned himself millions, I didn't mean like he's gonna sign like a six year, like six million per year contract. But like, I think without this playoffs, we would have been looking at like another contract like the one he's on now, which is what, like a couple million, one and only a one year deal. Maybe now he could secure himself like a two or three year deal at like, I don't know, two to three million per. So yeah, yeah. adds up. Every well, million counts, right? <laughs> right now he's making just under three million. So it would be hard to imagine him getting a raise. Oh, I'm actually that. surprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one How did year, he get that million. money after he was so bad? Remember when he got traded to Philly at the end and he was just like not, after already doing badly on Edmonton? Yeah. Well, this was a pay cut. His last contract was just above four million, and it was signed, of course, with Edmonton, who loves to sign goalies for yeah. uh, more than they should. But speaking of goalies, how many like the theme for me of this first qualifying round was just like the weird like I w- I'm not hubristic enough to call them dumb decisions because I don't know everything about the inner workings of NHL franchises, but like it just seemed bizarre that Nashville would kick Rene to the curb. I get it, based on the regular season, but then when Saras came in and wasn't getting the job done, you don't even give him a start? Like, you're ready to just pass the torch like that definitively to Saros and not say, okay, we tried. How about we get the guy who took us to a cup final back in? Uh, Not that I'm a big believer in Rene myself either, but like try and what's with pittsburgh playing matt murray over tristan jari jari outplayed him the entire season murray's been spotty for years now uh and then columbus they went with corpusalo over merzlikens which is a little more forgivable because we remember corpusalo's big streaks but we also remember uh he was just a 9 11 
on the season, which I kind of forgot because he, like, in my mind, he was this guy who was just on fire and then he got injured and then he came back and really didn't get a whole lot of time to reprove himself. Uh, so Columbus might not find themselves in the position they're in today, playing game five against Toronto had they just gone with Merzlikens from the start. Florida, meanwhile, started Bobrovsky for all their games and gave up 13 goals in four games to the New York Islanders, which feels like <laughs> more than you should. Uh, and geez, what do you do with that? Dale Talon was fired. So maybe that's what you do with that. Yeah, I mean, that contract, we knew it didn't look good as soon as they signed Bobrovsky. Like, he's already had some bad years recently. He happened to have a real... He wasn't even that good in the la- that last season in Columbus, but then he was, like, amazing in the playoffs. So the last memory was him, you know, sweeping Tampa Bay, and that earned him... That earned him millions of dollars, I think. He was obviously going to get a big contract, but yeah, that's not looking good right now. I wonder how Chris Dreidger... Is it Dreidger or Dreidger? I don't know, he used to be on the Sens, so you must know. Yeah, no, I think it's Dreidger. Yeah, so I feel like Dreidger actually was really good at the end of the year. And I remember in my most recent beat writer interview with George Richards, I remember he was talking about the end of the year and how it seemed like the defense was finally coming together. And that's why he thought the Panthers could be good. But it was also like Dreidger was in net at the end of the season because I guess Bob was injured or, or getting rested or, or whatever it was. And like the his hope was that it, now Bob will come in and take advantage of this stronger defense. But it might just be that Dreidger is like a little better at this point, which would be very scary yeah. for yeah you say seven more six more years <laughs> definitely buying into that like the same way that we were talking about samuel montembo maybe being better a better option than bobrovsky too like i i still don't trust in that but man like you're just stuck you're just stuck yeah. with bobrovsky what a stupid thing to do even like teams that give it to an elite goalie like at one point carry price come to regret it so freaking much yeah, but right now I don't think Montreal's regretting it because unless they were hoping to get Lafreniere secretly, <laughs> but right now like Carey Price is probably the main reason of all the teams out there, whose like stock falls the most if their goalie gets injured. It's got to be Montreal. Like Carey, like I don't even know who their backup is right now. Do you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Nils Lind- Lindgren. Char- Charles Lindgren. Charles Lindgren. Uh, Elon, you say all this, but like I've been, I, I guess Price has now put together. Well, he's nine oh nine. This so you were really down on him in the regular season. You you bought in because he had a nine eighteen after nine hundred season. Like I, I, my point was I'm, that you yeah you, you I'm being short sighted yeah for fun. Okay. Like I'm just saying that right okay. now, Carey Price won them a series. Meanwhile, Bobrovsky did nothing to help Florida. But I do agree with you that you probably don't want to sign these long term contracts. At least Carey Price at the time was like the everyone agreed the best goalie in the world and then it just like he had some injuries afterwards and it didn't go the way we hoped for a few years i get it that like you sort of had no choice when your franchise player is your goalie and he is going to command a huge contract and like you're just in a bad position because you should never spend that much on the goalie position but of course they were spending on more than just their goalie it was like their team culture and leader and franchise cornerstone and you know, there were so many other elements that you probably just shouldn't allow to get to as a GM. So like still a huge mistake, but uh, more understandable, I guess, in Montreal's yeah. case than in Bob's case. Like they were damned if Montreal was damned if they did and damned if they didn't. I mean, I'll even say I don't know if it was a huge mistake. Like it, it the contract will keep looking worse as the years go by and if he gets worse. But as of now, he we're, we just talked about how he was probably the most dominant goalie in the playoffs. Yeah. So. And for but but yeah. also think about where 
like the salary that's committed to him goes. I mean, they they've got a coach in Claude Julien who can make the most of a, like a a pedestrian top nine core, you know, with no true superstar. Brandon Gallagher is your biggest star. Uh, he's great, but that's not usually the best player on a Stanley Cup winning team. And part of the reason that is is because uh, of Carey Price's contract. Yeah, I guess a counterpoint to that is Montreal actually does have cap space and they just can't get a good player to come to them, right? They tried to sign Sebastian Ajo to big money well, last year in an offer sheet. Though. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, I think they tried to get. Would they try? I'm sure they tried to get Panarin. Like, I think they have. I think that yeah. I, I've been talking. Like, I think they have cap space and they're having trouble filling. That's why they end up making these crazy decisions, like signing Carl Alsner to like four years at however much money they gave him. Yeah, they have four and a half million of cap space right now. Like, in this season, uh, and that's with, yeah, huge money going to Shea Weber and Carl Alsner and Carey Price. Like, those are the biggest eaters. No forward is making above five and a half million. Luckily, lucky for them, they've got Brendan Gallagher making under four million for another year after this one. Yeah, then it'll be impossible to keep him. But by then, you'll have Nick Suzuki to take over. And who knows, Cole Caulfield's coming up, and you got Jesperi Capani. The future is bright for Montreal. Uh, by the way, in Florida, they do have Spencer Knight. So they at least, even though they're stuck with Bob, and hopefully Bob will turn it around eventually a little bit, they'll at least have a few cheap years of Spencer Knight, who's supposed to be this amazing prospect goalie. So maybe that'll help ease it out a little bit. It's not as if they're stuck with Bob, right. and they don't have any chance of another good goalie. Was so. it my interview with Kat Silverman, where, I, or I think that was where, like, we were talking about goaltending and goaltending contracts and investments. Yeah. And she was making the point that, like, you look at the tandem as the full investment. So, like, whether you have a 10 million goalie or not, like, if the whole tandem costs $10.7 million, you're actually doing, like, better than if you just focus on that $10 million. So the, the Panthers, you're right, do have that going for them uh, as Spencer Knight comes up on his ELC. Yeah, but that's still, like, I think a couple years away. So they still have to figure out who their backup is going to be next year, unless it'll be Chris Dreidger. But, okay, we're way off course, but <laughs> here we are. We're in the playoffs. I'm really excited for round two. Brian, as soon as we're done this, I'm going to watch the Leafs. And then once that game is over, I'm going to scramble as fast as possible, get these invites out for the KKPP round two. And then we're going to be having crazy drafts tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're in the Facebook group, even if you're not in these drafts, uh, I know Marcus is going to be putting together stats and ADPs like he did for the first round of all the players. It was really fun. We should definitely share that. So we're having a lot of fun with the patrons. Let me just say that. So uh, you can come join us at keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you're interested. Uh, Is there anything else, Brian, that you wanted to say before we go watch the Leafs try to come back from this 1-0 deficit after one period versus Columbus? Uh, thanks everyone for listening to this like this episode had a different flavor let us know how you liked it at keeping carlson and uh, we hope you'll stick with us through the playoffs because we're uh, probably going to keep doing this on a weekly basis yeah we've got our friends over at DraftKings sponsoring playoff episodes so we're gonna keep churning them out but obviously the main reason is because you're listening and we hope you're liking it like brian said uh let us know what you think of the we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants here. this is normally a fantasy podcast where i'm talking about ad drops and all the stuff that we can't do in the playoffs so it's you know we, we'd love to hear from you and we're open to fun different ideas to do episodes actually i think speaking of fun different ideas brian we should mention we have a weird idea that we're i think going to try out for our patron cast this wednesday we haven't announced to the patrons yet i got to take care of these playoff pool invites once that's done i think we're going to try calling a game as our patron cast on wednesday and like still answer patrons questions but also pick a game that's on at the same time and kind of have that on and be commentators throughout the game but maybe like fun commentators that like actually make jokes and make it enjoyable because i don't know i've been watching these games brian and it's like 
these commentators are boring. They don't say anything interesting. They're boring. Like, or maybe sometimes interesting when like the stat person sends them a fun stat to say, but it's like, but uh, we're the thro- stat thro- people. Yeah, we're the stat. And I, I think we can make these bets. Maybe you'll be willing to even put some stakes on some of these bets. As I don't know, I think we could we can make it fun. So I, I, it's something we've wanted to try out for a little while. So I think we're going to do that on Wednesday. So one of the many things, babes. What were we saying? Oh yeah, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabber Hockey and powered by our loyal and faithful patrons who've stuck with us all the way through and still get to benefit from the fun perks like the Facebook group and, uh, you know, got first notice on this playoff poll we're doing and we'll be in this patron cast. Anyway, uh, join keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Logo art provided by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach, who once toured on the Vans Warp Tour, but he won't tell me with which band. Maybe you can find He's out. with a. It's not Boy Wonder, but it's like. Sound, is there a band named Boy Wonder who's famous? I don't think so. It's like either. I think his band either has the name Boy Fallout in it, Boy? Or, or has the name Wonder in is it. Is Pat Roach in Fallout Boy? He was in a popular band, and I'll look it up right now while you read the rest of the credits. Okay, this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pole, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World, and I'll throw in fan tracks for hosting our playoff pool. Great job as always, Brian. Uh, I still don't have the band, so uh, I guess I'll try to get that to you for next week. But until then, keep on keeping... Oh wait, that's your job. Go until ahead. Then. What should people do until then? Keep on keeping Carl's son.